Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who has seen success and failure at building and selling startup companies. Eamon Leonard from Broadstone Venture Capital has also been a very canny investor in his own right, investing in such unicorns as Intercom. Eamon Leonard, you worked as a web developer for years from a hospice in Carol's, Harold's Cross to digital media companies. You seem to have a great career mapped out for you in corporate tech at a time just as the sector was booming. But you chose to build a startup. Why did you do that and, and how did you get on? Why did I do that? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, it's very easy to look back and be able to to chart what seems like a very straight path. But, you know, when you're in the thick of it, it's something. But um, I think um, I think yeah, it was ultimately I was I had a, an early midlife crisis at 30, 29, actually. And it's pretty young for a midlife it, crisis. It is, so, well, it depends on. Uh, how long you live, I suppose. <laughs> so, um, uh, touch wood. Uh, so, yeah, I um, I kind of felt dissatisfied with my 20s and I wanted to make sure I didn't feel the same way in my 30s. What did you build? Um, so I built a small uh, dev shop, that, but we built product for people all over the world. Um, we're a team of uh, five or six people um, and we, we focused on the kind of hard engineering behind the scenes. Um, that, uh, what does hard engineering mean? Uh, well, at the time, it, it meant a lot of cloud stuff, which was very, very um, new and uh, kind of Wild West territory. And anything that's kind of new and emergent tends to be kind of uh, opaque. And so this is 2008? 2008, 9, 10. Yeah. And, uh, and so this is around the time that, of course, you know, the iPhone was just coming out. Um, it was a lot more um, um, B2B software being delivered as, as, a, as a service software as a service um, and there was um, a, you know a ramping up of cloud adoption and uh, so the very much the, the process by by how software was built designed um, shipped um, supported and sold was changing dramatically and it's probably no coincidence that that coincided with uh, a, a, that really was the big, beginning of a decade long bull run in in uh, investment, VC investment. And it was a big success. This was at a time when companies like Amazon were scaling up as well. Big success. Engine Yard came in and acquired Mm -hmm. it in 2011. Um, You had had it for three years. Why did you sell at that time? Well, actually, we we had built that product in seven months. So we were sold seven months after starting that. Yeah, Orchestra. And that was kind of spun out of the dev shop. Um, And yeah, we had taken no investment 
um, we had bootstrapped from consulting. And, uh, that must so, have been very satisfying. Uh, it was a strange time, uh, unexpected. It, you know, when somebody wants to buy you, it's very easy to get sold. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's much harder to try and find a buyer. Um, and um, yeah, learned a lot in the process. Stayed with engineering for three years, led, led uh, engineering for a while, then focused my efforts um, being kind of like an external face of the company. Um, and had a team of people where we would we would do what's now called DevRel or developer relations. Back then, it didn't really have a name, but it was it was a, a form of of marketing to technical people, um, um, community building, uh, even even technical sales, mm. but like very hands on and in person. And so you stayed at that for a few years, yeah. but then you got the startup bug again. You yeah afterwards. yeah you, I I. Um, I felt I kind of had gone as far as I could go, and I I wanted to um, to take on something big and meaty, and I decided that um, LinkedIn needed to be um, tackled, and possibly was a mix of um, founder hubris and uh, naivety. Um, but we gave it a good go um, and built, you know, some what now would actually be fairly straightforward to build from a technological perspective. Um, a lot of advances in machine learning, um, data engineering. This was called Cohort. cohort and I remember yeah. you showing it to me yeah. at some conference around the time. And you were very excited about it. You thought that it could, yeah. you know, change the, the networking <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah. It looked good. Yeah, I, I wish it existed. I would use it every day today. And I've said that most days since since it didn't succeed. Just having a product that looks good is one thing. Having it working is another. And we had both of those. But like having a, a clear path to uh, sustainability, never mind scalability with, with, you know, venture backing or, or um, you know, a clear level of traction. That's a completely different thing. And um, uh, I probably had a bunch of other things going on in my life at the time that, you know, uh, uh, were points of friction on it, I suppose you could say. Sure. And we've spoken about that before, yeah. actually, in, in an earlier podcast. In 2018, that all wrapped up. Yeah. What were you thinking at that point? Were you thinking, I'm going to do another startup? Not at all, no. No, no, no. no. Um, I, I was in survival mode. Mm. Just just um, like a like a, a turtle. You know, mm. head into the shell and just and, and and that's a common theme. Um, I've spoken to lots of founders. I've been through that process, and but you come out eventually the other side with with the help of friends and family and and loved ones, and um, you, you find that energy and uh, uh, and 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 refocus around it. Mm. And what did what shape did that refocusing uh, come in? Well, I mean, I, I co-founded a, a company called Boundless, um, and this is just before. Probably about six months before, seven months, eight months before the pandemic, um, and moved to remote work, and so it was kind of timely because. And this was a were... and the idea that remote working was yeah. on the rise, and yeah. that you should be able to work anywhere, pretty much in Europe, yeah. right? Yeah, or uh, well, anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, yeah. and what Bandless would do is it would take care of the admin. Um, well, uh, uh, compliant employment. Compliance yeah, employment. Yeah, yeah. So make sure people are, are are employed in compliance with the laws in their country and and paid correctly and on time and um and their taxes are paid mm -hmm. in full and all that. And so it's a it's not not a trivial uh, problem to do. Um, Was it just all. a year or two or too early from the point of view of the pandemic, or was the timing good? Um, I'd say the timing was good because I remember when the pandemic came along and we were still trying to convince some investors that um, that remote work was going to be a thing. And this is at a time where, you know, the first lockdown was going to be a week or two. Mm. And, you know, you go home 
people go home for the weekend and come back and you're, you're back in work kind of attitude. Nobody really knew how long it was going to go on. Um, so, yeah, I think what the pandemic did was accelerated a lot of trends that were already emerging. But it is interesting to see, I'd say, you know, the that pendulum swung too far into like everybody's at home and now it's kind of mm. coming back. And so wherever it ends up settling, I think remote work is still in a better place than it was two or three years ago and it probably was accelerated. But I also don't think we're in a world where um, you know, every company is even going to have remote component is ultimately up to the leadership of the company to figure out. Seems that works. a lot of the big tech companies yeah. are dragging their staff. Yeah, well, back I mean, in. They're, mo- they're motivated to do so. You know, offices aren't cheap. Yeah, and we can see that in Dublin <laughs> as know, well. Yeah, for sure. Some of the offices, big yeah. companies like Meta, are now actually yeah. uh, they're renting part of the buildings that they thought that they would need. They're they're subletting uh, them out. We're going through a fair bit of restructuring at the moment uh, in the tech industry. I'm going to come on to investments now in a minute, but do you think it's a good time in general to build a startup now? Yeah, I love a good downturn. Um, it, it's uh, it's always a... Why? A, what is it about a downturn that <laughs> makes it attractive to build a startup? Well, I mean, if you look at the behavior of both founders and investors in the last two years in particular, and it, it probably coincided with this pandemic happening at the tail end of a decade-long bull run that mm. was driven by advances in cloud computing. So at the end of this bull run of a, a decade uh, or so we had the pandemic and um, you know this kind of irresponsible behavior from founders and investors that overly inflated um, uh, valuations um, and inevitably as bull runs tend to do they come to an end for various reasons no coincidence that it, it kind of coincided with the the kind of um, the demise of the pandemic as an emergency and to something that can be managed and controlled and probably people returning to offices uh, um, and and the dynamical the dynamic being mm. changed in terms of how people are working and how they're spending money and all that and so um it's inevitable then that um when that downturn happens there's a bunch of churn right so layoffs happen um down rounds happen um so companies that raise that you know oversized valuations uh, in the previous one or two rounds they may not they're not unlikely to be able to achieve so are you talking about the release so, here of yeah. valuable resources Absolutely. yeah okay. so the release of valuable resources human capital probably the most valuable resource we have um uh you know brain power it's only so many hours in the day the more you can kind of get people to kind of work together and create value the, the, the more value that can be created economically and socially um so um I think downturns are always a good resetting when there's been irresponsible behavior. They absolutely suck. They hurt people. People lose their jobs. Investors lose their money. And and that's to be expected. They're in the business of risk and managing risk. So Mm. Um, and and I and markets contract. And I think um, when it comes to innovation, you need that resetting. You need that. If you look at the last financial crisis, global financial crisis, 2008, look at also, no coincidence that that, that decade-long bull run in tech came on the back of that. The same thing happened a few years after the dot-com crash. The innovation was very slow. A load of people who were in there to kind of chance their arm and make, make a quite quick book, they left. And the builders remained. And the people who were actually kind of the deep technologists who were trying to start stuff up, they remained. And um, what became Web 2.0 of the mid-2000s, um, up to probably you'd probably classify it to the mid 2010s that started on 
uh, kind of from the ashes of the dot com. So do you so think? Good, I think in, a good downturn is yeah. always great for resetting, and and I probably shouldn't call it a good downturn, right? But no, like but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, do you think that the current contraction, restriction, restructuring? I don't know what the preferred nomenclature here is. Do you think that the builders will stay in yeah, the ecosystem? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, because the value is still there. The reason the value is still there is um, you. I know you in, in particular own multiple devices. I don't know how many. It's probably in the tens. The hundreds. <laughs> right. As long as people own devices and those devices are connected together, there's going to be value to be created and there's going to be different business models to be sliced and diced in different ways and there's going to be innovations that you know don't exist or they take a, a you know a number of years to kind of slowly build up and then it seems like all of a sudden they've come out of nowhere ai is a great example like now this fundamentally positive attitude that yeah. you have toward potential and opportunity yeah. in a downturn or elsewhere it has served you well in previous mm. um iterations you you've had one or two very savvy investments. We were an early investor in Intercom, for example. Yeah, um, still am. That, that's a unicorn <laughs> uh, company. Um, that's a great one to wear uh, on your sleeve. But from your perspective, you must be looking then around the environment at the moment, maybe with an eye to, you know, what a good investment in a startup would be. Maybe you might talk me through what a good startup investment looks like to you at this point? Yeah, so it really depends on the stage that somebody is investing at. Um, my Where I've lived in my career is the very early stages. So literally, there's an idea, that idea is manifested into some technology that um, you know amplifies some core uh, user or business behavior uh, with a, a goal to monetizing it. Um, the process by which that happens is, is quite difficult because there's a lot of experimentation and iteration required. There's a whole bunch of chaos and uncertainty there's a very high risk um, bar and um, people who invest at that stage should understand what that risk means but they should also you know be fluent in the language that exists at that stage right how people think how they behave how they get stuff done how they work together as a team how they take an idea bring it to life and put it in front of people and sell it that's a very different set of behaviors to say a company that has been through that and they're like two or three or four years into their journey and they have you know maybe tens or hundreds um, or even thousands of people working for them and you know doing millions in annual revenue and they have raised money that people that invest at that stage it, you know they're looking at spreadsheets they're looking at data traction they're looking at um, kind of long-term strategy and where so where where I'm really interested in is that first stage that I've lived in my whole adult career really and um, and I think what interests me the most or what I get excited about the most in, in founders at that stage is their behaviors because you could just all techno technology doesn't create value it just doesn't people create value people create value People with certain behaviors create value. What technology does is it amplifies those I can behaviors. Feel an inspirational poster coming <laughs> on here. Come on! But what the te what the technology does is it amplifies those behaviors. If those behaviors are, um, you know, uh, driven and execution focused, if they have very clear insights and understanding as to a set of problems that exist in a target market, and there's a clear path to unlocking that and behavior from the founders is all driven towards that. The technology really just amplifies that, right? Whereas if if a, a founding team is missing some of those pieces, then the technology isn't necessarily going to fix it. In fact, in some cases, it might actually slow it down or in 
in some other cases, it might go the opposite direction and make it a complete disaster. So really, that's that's uh, at this stage, there is nothing else to no other evidence to go on. Right. You when you're investing uh, at pre-seed, which is the area of investment I, myself and my, my partners are interested in, um, there is no customer traction. There often isn't really a product. If there is a product, it's like a prototype or a demo. Um, there, there isn't, you know, numbers to look at, right? The data that you have to go on are, are the people in front of you who are saying, we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's why we're the ones to do this. Here's why you should believe us. And here's uh, a, a series of kind of unique insights or experiences that we have that put us, make sure that we're well placed to solve this problem. And crucially, they will say what they're going to do and then they go with go and do what they say they do and then they come back to you and, and they say we've done what we said we were going to do you know, like a month later or two months later um now we'd love your feedback on that and the more that happens the more uh kind of the relationship builds up between investor and founder but also the level of trust and i think when you're investing at any stage in 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 from a vc perspective it is a, a relationship business and relationships take time and relationships are based on trust and if you see repeat behavior that you know, indicates the ability to execute, particularly with urgency, because that's you know what kills startups at this stage of life is not what they do with their time; it's what they don't do with their time. And you know, money can solve some of that, but like fundamentally, the behavior is they're either going to make the best use of the time that they have mm. or not. We talk that, about that's, waves. That's, that's what you look for. We talk about waves and trends. You mentioned AI yeah. a couple of minutes ago. Are we on the cusp of a new wave of AI startups? I'm not a fortune teller. And any any investor that says they are, you probably shouldn't take their money. Um, what I will say is when you've been around long enough, you observe cycles and you observe kind of the rise and falls of trends. And things don't necessarily repeat, but they often echo or rhyme. What and, do you like as a sector? Um, well, so from our perspective we like ireland as a sector the whole island of ireland and so when you're focused on a, on a region like that you, you can't really pick one particular sector so, so then you're looking at maybe fintech or cloud yeah, anything that's tech enabled but we obviously look for people that have technical capability and expertise or some other kind of domain expertise relative to the market that they're they're um that they're serving but when it comes to trends um i think you know it, I think the world kind of got burned in, uh, in during the pandemic in, in many ways, but uh, with the likes of crypto and NFT, there was a lot of snake oil going on in there. Um, oh, and careful, that, Eamon. Right. Okay. What? You'll have all the crypto <laughs> NFT fanboys after you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been proven. So mm. um, uh, anyway, my point is, is that uh, there, there was a lot of hype and there probably was some substance and now a lot of that hype has gone away and what remains are the people who are building. And I'm confident that the the people who um, are trying to push things forward, um, blockchain technology um, and related spaces, call it Web3. And are they investable? Are they the type of people that I don't, someone... I would find it hard to make any investment in that space right now. And I think there's probably... Um, a bunch of people struggling out there, but I would I know there's also a bunch of people that raise stupid money that have literally like twenty years of runway. Like mm. that, you know, they'll be fine. I know guys who have bought houses for cash yeah. on the south coast of Dublin with crypto yeah. investments that they made. So do I. Yeah. And that's that is 
really not really they made their money not on technology but on speculation which is a very different type of investment to venture um venture is like it's long-term speculation but it's nothing like trading and the guys who made money here in crypto that's you know that's it's more akin to to day trading than anything else mm. or currency trading yeah do you still think you'll be doing this in 10 years well, we have to. It's a 10-year fund. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I, look, I think the way I think about this is, is it, I've built up uh, 20 years of working at the earliest stage of technology. Um, and there's a whole bunch of potential to be unlocked with that experience. Same for my partner, Fiona, my partner, Chris. They all have their own respective um, uh, um, experiences uh, that they've gained from, yeah, 20 years of a career that is that is uh, that is like a key to unlocking early stage potential and I think what we've had in the last few years is a bunch of missed opportunities in the, in the ecosystem on the island of people who didn't get the right level of funding or they didn't weren't given the kind of space to experiment or the right network wasn't plugged in to help them kind of get to the next level or the right kind of mentorship or guidance or support wasn't given to them um, for for no other reason other than it either wasn't there or it was looking elsewhere. Um, and um, uh, and I think there there I, there's just a, a massive amount of untapped founder potential uh, on this whole island. And I know this because I'm meeting people like this every day, and I have been meeting people like this every day for ten years. And uh, and and so that's that's. That's why we're doing it. Quick question. How do you choose a good business partner to invest with? Um, you mean uh, in the fund? Yeah. Or do you mean for like yourself? To, to you, co -invest you, you have or? partners that yes, you, yes. you're investing with. How do you pick? Why do you pick them? Um, well, it starts with who, who they are fundamentally. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of qualities that you look for, but it starts with who they are fundamentally. Um, uh, and, we, and, and we are a as people where our like the, the cumulative total of our, our life experience and the values that were instilled into us and the, the stuff we've I never knew well, v, I never knew VC investing was so deep. <laughs> so Chris, I've known since 2008 and he and I kind of cut from the same cloth in, in, in many ways. Um, he also had a, a small dev shop in, in Northern Ireland in Belfast, 2008, 2012. And then he, he spun out and started working on a, on a product. I was the first investor in that as an angel. Um, and then Fiona has um, a much more professional career and is definitely the, um, uh, the probably the most badass out of the three of us. Um, uh, and uh, she spent a long time working in finance. Um, and uh, I've done a lot of regulatory stuff and um, management consulting and uh, auditing and all this. And uh, but she also, uh, very interestingly, uh, did a stint as a founder um, and started an email encryption startup um, a few years ago. And so we've, uh, I guess, when you're looking for for founders uh, or partners in any endeavor, you're looking for uh, complementary overlap, right? Where there are some things in common, but also gaps that somebody else, you know, plugs or, or, or covers. And and then you're looking for trust and communication, the ability to clearly communicate when times are, are hard and times will always, those times will definitely happen, whether you're starting a new startup or you're raising a fund or you're doing taking on some other entrepreneurial endeavor, there will always be hard times. So being able to clearly communicate uh, and give benefit of the doubt. All these, all these things that come into normal human relationships apply in these cases, you know. 
Um, so yeah, I think. So you're very bullish about the startup uh, potential and ecosystem in Ireland at the moment. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, it's. Um, I think. Um, I think, like I said, downturns are a great time to start. I would encourage anybody out there that is, uh, you know, on the fence about an idea that they have. I'm not sure how to get started. You know, Should they be calling they need you? a co-founder? Yeah, I'm, we're always happy to talk to people and help them out and make some introductions and give them some advice. And, um, you know, when our fund is up and running, you know, we, we intend to invest in, in, in 40 startups over, over the next two years. So um, there's always a potential to partner with founders in, in that regard. But first and foremost, VC is a relationship business and relationships start by giving first. And so that's that's the outlook that we have. Eamon Leonard, investor, startup founder, all around interesting guy and Dublin stalwart. Thank you very much for, interesting guy. Well, for joining that, the Big Tech Show uh, <laughs> this week. And that's all we have time for. Uh, folks, my thanks go to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced Conan Doherty, was on video, and Gavin Hennessy did the sound. For me, Adrian Weckler, we'll be back with you the same time next week. Bye-bye. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agus Suligam, a Machan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, in Uig Kart, Len of Winterfane. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalam Aginam Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Yatakshatarin Griven, Orkarstan, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs are Dukashin Echer. Only Venown, Thardarakshin. Ben Marav. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.